Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. We are in the middle of a series called Get Wisdom. It ends next week as we talk about getting wisdom for work. But here's a little bit of a recap. Our theme verse for the series is Proverbs 4, 7. It says, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it cost all you have, get understanding. Uh, so the first week, we talked about getting it. We get wisdom by asking God for it. So any area of life we've talked about or others we haven't, if we need wisdom, we ask for it. And God gives it to us. Um, we talked about relationships, that wisdom is found for relationships by placing Jesus at the center of every relationship. For wealth and generosity, we talked about how wisdom is discovered for finances by seeing wealth and generosity as a blessing instead of a burden. For emotions, we talked about wisdom is to give attention and time to our emotions with Jesus. And then words, last week, wisdom for words is that we bring life or death to our relationship with ourselves, others, and God. And so throughout the series, we're talking about if we incorporate wisdom into our relationships and other areas, what's great is that wisdom replaces our foolishness. You know, we've all been foolish. That's what Proverbs says, that if, if you don't incorporate wisdom in these areas, it's foolishness. And so when we incorporate wisdom, we, re- we literally change our family trees. We literally change our entire lives uh, in, in what we do. And so um, this is probably more true than any other area in what we talk about today. And so today we're going to talk about sexual integrity. And so um, families that have younger ones in here, um, I'm not going to get too detailed, but we are going to talk about things. So, or, um, so just a warning. Um, so there you go. Awkward laugh, everyone. Okay. So, <clears throat> excuse me. It's allergy season. So um, you may have some obje- objections right now. You know, you may be saying to yourself, you know, um, why are we talking about this right now? You know, uh, why are we talking about this at church? Here's the thing. <clears throat> we are bombarded by ideas um, just constantly as far as this, constantly. And so we have to ask ourselves, you know, who, who are we being discipled by? Who are we hearing from is when it comes to sexual integrity, Uh, You know, like what is really informing us in our actions and what we're doing. Uh, And so for us as a church, we're saying, hey, you know, let's get wisdom for that. We need God's wisdom for this area of our lives. Um, A life with Jesus and salvation, a big part of it is the transforming of our minds and our thinking. Uh, You know, uh, like for me, when I was a teenager, I was discipled as far as sexual integrity is by 80s movies. That'll work out well, you know? Um, but when I met Jesus, I got wisdom from him and from his word. And so it replaces that thinking. And so that's why we talk about these things. Um, <clears throat> of all the areas uh, where we see human brokenness, we see it uh, just extravagantly in this area. Um, we are a broken and uh, we see extravagant brokenness when it comes to um, our sexual identity. Um, something that God gave as a gift uh, has, you know, just become incredible brokenness. Um, I will say that, you know, it's a sensitive topic. And so um, if you, uh, 
you may agree, disagree with some of the things I may say today. You may be offended by some things today. I will say this. You, come talk to me. I'd love to listen. I'd love to hear your story. Um, I will say, too, that there's grace upon grace upon grace. You know, like everything here, it's not about like, man, I haven't nailed that. That's not what this is about. This is about the grace of God entering and permeating every area of our lives and coming in. And so that's what we are going to do today. Um, Every possible type of sexual brokenness is probably represented here uh, or online. Uh, You know, just so we don't have to, uh, you know, uh, we're all in this together as far as that. Um, When I was younger, and then also as an adult, I've moved homes quite a bit. And so one of the things that I learned is that when you, when you pack a load of stuff in a truck, whether it's your truck or your car, and I mean, I've done the things like the pictures on the internet where you put a couch on top of a car or, um, my friend, my my friend once was moving to Indiana. And so we parked a car inside of a U-Haul. Brilliant, right? And so, and we made sure it was completely balanced and all that stuff. But um, that same friend, once we we lowered a, a super heavy couch with a hose because we didn't have a rope down from a balcony and stuff. So none of us died to this day. Um, but in moving a lot, uh, I learned that you really have to balance the load if you're going to travel places. Partly because things shift as you go. Um, But I mean, your whole truck can flip. I mean, all kinds of stuff can happen. Um, Some of this stuff I learned uh, by watching bad examples. Like when my dad and I, we moved one time from one house to another uh, in in town. Um, He put his filing cabinet on top of the truck. And um, it was in balance with some other things and it wasn't tied right. So we're driving down the road, just sitting there. And all of a sudden I hear this whoosh and I hear and it's, it's the filing cabinet being drugged by a rope behind the truck. I, mean, I was dying laughing. My, my, my dad was not. Uh, he, he didn't think it was funny at all. But uh, every time I moved him several times after that, and even to this day, I go to his house and I see the, you know, the, just the, the, this, the metal just shaved off the side of the thing. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But <clears throat> the reason I say that is that wisdom from Proverbs for sexual integrity is to not give an unbalanced focus upon it in our lives. Is to not make sex a disproportionate focus in our lives. That is what Proverbs teaches us. And so culture and the church, though, have really made a god out of sex. Uh, It is the... uh, golden statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up as we read in the book of Daniel, that if you, that if you don't go out and bow down to this statue and worship it, then you're in trouble. You have to do it. Culture has done it by saying that you can just do whatever you want and whatever feels right and whatever, you know, whatever makes you happy and, and just freedom in that. And, and it's, you have to bow down to that. It just doesn't matter. There's, there's just no limits. There's no rules. And then the church has done it in different ways as well, too, that if you don't bow down to this, then everything's out. The church has also made it too. well, uh, you know, uh, purity culture has been pushed. 
which absolutely I believe. I believe that, that you should save yourself from marriage. I believe that you should do that. But uh, many people, were, what they heard was, is if I just save myself from marriage, then Jesus accepts me. Like that's, that's the thing. It's not the blood of Jesus that makes me right with God, but it's that I've saved myself from marriage. And it's messed with a lot of people. Or, uh, you know, it's kind of like, okay, if I save myself for marriage, then I automatically have the best sex life ever with my spouse. And yet, really, that comes through intimacy. It comes through work and getting to know each other. It just doesn't guarantee things. And so we've found uh, the, that's finding the church's promises, you know, lacking, or in other words, they're just misunderstood. But then culture, I mean, think about the wounds and the trauma of just doing whatever you want sexually. Uh, the wounds and the things that we've just built over time. And so both have failed as an experiment. Um, so wisdom for sexual integrity is gained or kept by rebalancing our hearts, our minds, and our thinking. And so if we're, we're too focused on that, if we're too making that a God, whether we're in the church or culture or whatever it is, then we need to rebalance things. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. <coughs> Excuse me. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Your heart is your mind and it's your thinking. So guard your thinking for everything you do in your life flows from it. And so Jesus was 100% human and 100% God, and he always will be. He was 100% human, 100% God in one person. And he was the most whole, whole human that ever lived. Jesus experienced true humanity. Like we will use the term like, oh, that's human nature. Like when we see things fail or, or mess up or go bad. No, 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 human nature is whole. Human nature is not broken. Human nature is beautiful. What we really mean is sin nature. <clears throat> and so Jesus though, here's what's interesting. Jesus never had sex. And yet he was the most whole, fulfilled human that ever lived. So think about that. All the focus of culture, all the focus of church on all of these things about sex, that it's, you know, and the reality is, is that Jesus was fully fulfilled and yet he never had sex. Now, some of you are saying like, okay, that may not have been a part of Jesus' program, but I'm pretty sure I wanted a part of mine, right? That's a joke, people. You can laugh at that. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Come on, come on. And so, so what do you do, right? Uh, what do you do with this? Well, what Jesus did in being fulfilled and, and putting the proper balance of this in his life is he guarded it. He guarded his thinking. He guarded his heart. He was tempted in every way that we are tempted and yet did not sin. 
And so think of it like tending a garden or guarding a garden or caring for it. You know, uh, where I grew up um, out in the country in Central California, we had this glorious garden. Um, You know, it was bigger than this room. We had uh, we had uh, fruits and vegetables and uh, we had sunflowers. I remember this. It got me ready to live in Kansas, you know, Uh, but uh, we also had bugs uh, I remember the first time I saw a, a rattlesnake was in that garden. Uh, and my dad, I said, told him there's a rattlesnake. And my dad, he doesn't even say anything. He just like walks over to the shed, gets a shovel and, you know, you know, just takes off the head. I'm like, wow, amazing. I've been waiting to do that my entire life. I hadn't had the opportunity. There was deer. You know, we had to put all kinds of stuff to keep the deer away because they would damage that. So it took effort. There's pruning and caring for it. And so we are to do that when it comes to our thinking as far as our sexual identity. And so we're talking about wisdom for for sexual integrity. And so integrity equals the state of being whole or undivided. We have to ask ourselves a question today. Is my sexual identity, my sexual integrity, is it whole? Is it undivided? And I will say this, <clears throat> some of you may say, well, yeah, that, this doesn't relate to me. It relates past, present, future, all of this, because it affects us as people. Um, when I think of integrity, I think of the, the, the mountain Half Dome in Yosemite National Park. Uh, if you've never seen it, look it up, and uh, it's this huge, just rock. And so we climbed up it with high school students backpacking. And, and, and as you're climbing up it, it doesn't feel solid because you don't feel solid. It's solid, but the weight of it, you're climbing on these ropes and going up. But when you get on top of that thing, it's just like this thing is immovable. I mean, nothing is going to move this thing. It's just solid. And that's how we can be as far as this idea of sexual integrity. So a question as we dive into this. Uh, whose disciple are you? are we when it comes to sex? Like who or what has informed what you believe, what you do when it comes to this? It's important to answer that question. It's important to say what I truly believe, what I truly feel about this has come from this place. Some of us may answer, well, just me. I just decided, and this is what I feel. No, we, we get information. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Uh, You know, we are information gatherers. And so we've decided certain things about it. So, you know, when it comes to, I mean, these are some of the things that maybe have discipled us. Movies, TV, social media, books, romance novels, pornography. Like these things have influenced us possibly and discipled us as far as these things. So we need to evaluate our thinking. So first thing we need to know is it's easy to adopt and live out damaging sexual identity. It's easy. It's easy to do it. And, uh, you know, you can be in a relationship uh, that, quote unquote, is, you know, within uh, God's design. And yet your ideas about sex in these areas can be informed and unhealthy in other areas. It can continue on. So it's common or normal. So Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so this is a common area for everybody. Um, Sexual sin appeals to lust while masquerading as love, joy, happiness, and intimacy. 
So when sexual activity is based on lust, lasting satisfaction is elusive because one, one's oneness and intimacy is designed by God. Like that's the design of this whole thing is for oneness and intimacy. Like God is one God, but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are in complete intimacy and unity. And that's why the sexual relationship speaks of that, complete oneness. And so when we base our sexual identity upon brokenness and in sinful acts, it, we're just, it's based upon lust and it's based upon, well, I'm going to get these things. I'm going to have these things. But all it does is it doesn't last. And so there's something that God designed that's true and lasting. So we're not going to read through the whole thing, but Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 are the key chapters. It's more than 10% of the overall book of Proverbs. And it speaks of sexual integrity. It speaks of uh, Solomon writing to his son and saying, hey, let me tell you some things. Here's the thing. It applies to males and females. It applies to young and old. And so it reaches all of us. But the wording may be, you know, speaking of women or men specifically, but the concepts, the principles are timeless. They're gods. They speak to all of us. You guys with me? All right. Nobody's run out yet. That's good. All right. So how it starts for the lips of the adulterous woman or man drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. Proverbs five, three. So how it starts is that the reality is, is that sexual sin or sexual brokenness is, is attractive. It's, it's, it's like oil and honey. It's like, Oh, this looks good. This looks pleasing. I, I, I want that. It's tempting. Uh, it's consuming. Proverbs 6.25 says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or his beauty, or let her or him captivate you with their eyes. And so it's powerful. It's consuming. It, it, it does something to us that says, I want that or them or that person. It's seductive. Proverbs 7, 5 says, they will keep you from the adulterous woman or man, from the wayward woman or man with her or his seductive words. So it's, it's not just something that is just neutral, but it's actually wanting to grab us and draw us into it. Uh, it's exciting. Proverbs seven eighteen. this is the story here says, I looked down from my place where I was, my window, and I saw a youth an unwise youth walking close to her home, looking for something and doing something. And it says this, come, let's drink. This is what the woman says to him. Uh, Let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. So it's exciting. It does something in us that says, oh, wow, that takes me out of the doldrums of normal life. Wouldn't that be exciting in the moment? And yet, It's fleeting pleasure. It's not lasting. It's not real. Because it's based upon lust versus love. 
Hebrews 11, 24 and 25 says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So you may know the story of Moses. Moses was actually born a Hebrew, but Pharaoh uh, was going to get rid of all the Hebrew babies. And he did, but, uh, Moses' family actually floated him down the river and the daughter of Pharaoh found him. And so he was saved and he was raised in his Egyptian until he was older. Then God spoke to him and moved in his life. And what this is saying is, is that there was a point where it says when he had grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. There was a certain point of maturity and identity with his God that he said, I will no longer base my life upon the principles of this evil culture and the things that they believe in and say. And I will base them upon and align myself with God's principles. It's a picture for all of us as far as sexual identity and sexual integrity. Is that when we grow up, when we say, you know what, it's time that I will reject the unhealthy ways of culture in sexual integrity, and I will move to God's ways, to allowing wisdom to inform me of these things in my life. What we see too is we see that sexual brokenness ripples. So, uh, you know, the idea that it's, I, I can just do this once or I can just do this. No, it ripples throughout our life. Our choices in this area ripple throughout our life. And so sexual sin affects our enjoyment of the real thing. It's a rewiring of our minds. So, the habits and the patterns that we create in ourselves actually will ripple into the real thing. And so uh, when we get into a healthy relationship, when we get into a relationship according to God's design, how we've lived will affect whether we can enjoy that or not. And so I told you earlier how it started, you know, drip with honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But here's how it ends. For the lips of the adulterous woman or man drip honey, and her speech or his speech is smoother than oil. That's how it starts, but here's how it ends. But in the end, he or she is bitter as gall. You went from honey to gall, and bitterness, sweetness to bitterness. And it was smooth as oil, but now it's sharp as a double-edged sword. That's how it ends. That's a principle. That's wisdom. That's from God's word. It doesn't happen any other way. And you may be saying to yourself, you know, like, nah, I can control it. Here, here's what I've seen in, in, in counseling and pastoring people for, uh, for lots of years, is I've seen way too many times people get into uh, uncontrollable situations or enter into uncontrollable things and then think that they can control it. It would literally be like walking into a tornado and then saying, I'm good, I got this. That's the equivalent of walking into these areas of sexual sin and then saying, it's cool, I can control this thing. No, when, you're, when you put yourself into an uncontrollable environment, you will not be able to control it you will lose control. That's why it says in Proverbs 6, 27 through 29, can a man scoop fire into his lap without 
his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. I remember reading this for the first time as like 16, 17 year old myself and another uh, young man who's Christian. His dad was a pastor and we read this. We're like, wow. I mean, it was just so real, you know? I mean, just, I mean, it's so vivid just saying like, wow. So the things we do will affect our whole being. I mean, it just absolutely affects our entire whole being. And then some of the scariest lines in scripture, you have Samson where it says, uh, you know, he did not know that the spirit of God had left him or Saul where the spirit of God left him, he did not know. And, And these are right up there with those words because these are lines for reading. Like, you know, when people get ready to, to audition for a play or, or they get ready to, uh, you know, be in a movie or they're reading lines trying to get the role. Well, listen, these are future lines for reading. And I've seen them. I've heard these words uh, as I've had men and women sit before me. And they didn't listen to wisdom. And they wrecked their lives. God can rebuild, but there's a whole lot of pain in the meantime. And I've sat there and I've seen friends that were pastors that lost everything. Even sent to jail. And then these words are read at that time because they did not let wisdom work itself. They chose foolishness instead of God's wisdom. The lines for reading are this. And he says, you will say, if you don't listen to wisdom, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Just the absolute wrecking of a life. Family trees changed for generations because of choices in this area. And it's hard because um, one of my mentors, he did his, uh, his PhD work on pastors and leaders uh, that uh, have a moral failure. And uh, in a staff meeting years ago, um, he, summed, he, he dumbed it down for us, all the work. And he basically said, you know, as I inter- cause he interviewed a bunch of people, hundreds of people. And, and he said, you know, all of them, uh, they ended up at this place where they just, and it wasn't all sexual. Some of it was money or, or other areas of unhealth, you know, but they, they failed morally with their responsibility. And he summed up his work with this. He said, here's what I discovered is that all of them thought that where they completely blew it and ruined their lives was way over there. And he said it was from where they were because they, they lived right lives. They lived upon principles. They had relationship with God. They had integrity, these things. And he said, but here was the problem that they didn't understand is that while it was way over there, they put habits into their lives that were like, what it was was way over there, but it was on the end of a rope. And just little by little, 
they pulled that rope and what was onto the rope closer and closer and closer. How greatly true that is in this area. So there is a, diff- there is a, a different way though. And it's the way of intentional wholeness. So there's a new path. Uh, Solomon writes to his son, he says, now then my sons or daughters, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her or him. Do not go near the door of her or his house. So do you see it though? There's a path that we take. And what's beautiful about this is that our minds, we have, um, we have actually pathways. Our minds are basically just a mapping system that we have pathways of that. Our minds tell us that, that like when you feel this way, this is what you do. When this happens, this is what you do. And, and it does that so we don't have to think so hard. So when we have certain feelings, it says, well, this is what you do. The problem is, is it's unbiased. And so you can have a negative thing or a damaging thing, and it's like, this is what you do. And so you go down that pathway. Or you can have a healthy thing, it says, this is what you do, and you go down that pathway. So what this says is you actually keep to a path far from her or him, do not go near the door of her or his house. And so you create a new pathway. It's actually very hard, neuro, uh, neuroscientists tell us, to actually change a neural pathway in our brains. But we do have something called neuroplasticity, which is we can create new pathways, new ways of thinking. That's actually one of the biggest signs or the things that happens as you grow in Jesus, as he becomes formed in you, as the mind of Christ becomes yours. You create new ways of thinking. I mean, how else do you hear stories of like, you know, people in courtrooms where somebody has done something horrible to them and their families and, and they say, you know, what you did was horrible, but I forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me. Or the stories of how, you know, just people are broken and and at odds, and yet people, when they go to Jesus and he heals things and and they forgive each other, and things are mended and and changed. How, I mean, how else does that happen besides new pathways? So it is when it comes to sexual integrity, that we can actually create new ways of thinking, the way of Jesus. And so one of the ways, though, too, is is the idea of a fire in the fireplace. And so culture says, you know, just, hey, just let it burn, baby. Just like throw, throw gasoline, whatever. Just, just, hey, just let it burn. And yet in reality, I mean, any of us, if you have a fireplace in your home, who of us would put a fire in the middle of the living room? We may do it out here with the bonfire, but no, you have a specific place for that fire. So that's what this speaks of. It says uh, in, in Proverbs chapter five, verse 15, it says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never be, be to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth or your husband of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love or his love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? It says that this is the fire in the fireplace, is that that you would enjoy the person 
If you are married or you want to be married, that you enjoy that person that you join together within God's design for that. And so, so God's design, he designed sexual love and pleasure to be enjoyed between a man and a woman in a covenant marriage relationship. That's God's design. We see that in Genesis. We see that throughout, throughout the New Testament. But let me say this, because this is what I've also seen. You see, we need transformed thinking because I've seen people over time harden their hearts towards this and they say, well, I'm, I'm in a, uh, a heterosexual relationship in marriage, so I'm good. But I've seen some of the worst sexual brokenness sin within that. Because say, hey, I'm, I'm in the context, I can do whatever I want. The things that they do to one another and hurt each other within that. So it's not just benign, like, hey, I'm within this context, I'm good. No. God is more interested in how we do what we do many times than just, okay, this is the right label. And so it's always our heart. And so how do we, how do we take this home with us? Well, first, because this, this deceives us, is we need to get rid of sexual sin rating games. What do I mean by that? Uh, are we more focused on critiquing the sexual integrity of others than fostering our own sexual integrity? And that's what I meant with the church, is the church gets so focused on making this a God, and it's like, look, the only way to be made right with God is Jesus Christ. And we don't put any other stumbling blocks in front of anybody besides Christ crucified. And so we should not be attacking people based upon any other reason. We don't attack at all, actually, but we just, we draw people to Christ. And so we, we don't want to have sexual sin rating games. We are all broken. We all need the grace of God. We all need his love and his grace and his healing to come in because we all are jacked up on some level in every area. And so we need it so bad. An example of this is, is that we all know that uh, you may know John chapter eight, the woman caught in adultery. What about the dude? Like, where was the guy? See, that was a sexual sin rating game. It's like, well, hey, she was caught in adultery. But what about the guy that was with her? He wasn't dragged in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He goes after her heart in her emotions and who she is. And he says, you know, he says, whoever ha has not sinned, let him cast the first stone. And what does he say? He says, go and sin no more. He sets her free. But again, the culture said, well, hey, this we've put much higher than the man's sin. Let's not do that on any level, any area you can think of. Let's not do that. We all need the grace of God. We all need the healing of God in our lives. And then here's the encouragement. Christ's sexual wholeness becomes ours. That's what you get when you surrender your life with Christ. So no matter how much you've blown it today, no matter how 
messed up you are in your thinking sexually, no matter how much has been done to you, what you've done, how off you've been, how in, intertwined you are with pornography today, how, how messed up you are, or, or whether you're thinking about committed adultery, you've committed adultery, you're, you know, whatever, however you are, on whatever scale outside of that, Christ offers you his sexual integrity, and it's a whole one. You see, when you give your life to Christ, he offers you all of himself, his mind and his life. And I know that's hard for some because you say, you know, I've been so just uh, imprisoned by this since my youth, or I've been so imprisoned by this by this time, or I I just can't, I've made, I've messed up so bad and I just can't be set free. Allow Jesus in. He offers you his wholeness in this area. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 13. You say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and, for the, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Now listen, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So here's the true question that God asks us. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? We play so many games when it comes to sexual identity and integrity. And the Lord asks us, he says, will you trust me as Jesus enough? Well, I want my way, Lord. Well, I I think this is different. And the Lord says, that's not how I design things. And he says, am I enough? Am I enough? And I may not know your limits or your struggles, and you may not know mine. But here's the thing. God says, is Jesus enough? That's the real question. Is Jesus enough that you will surrender all areas of your life to him? And that doesn't mean that you have all the answers. It doesn't mean that there's not tension with that. But it means that I bring my whole self, including my sexuality and my identity to God and Jesus. And I say, this is yours, Lord. Show me your ways. Disciple me in this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, this time together. And God, I just, um, Lord, you are so good and gentle and near. And so first, Lord, I just pray that Uh, In no way would any of us, Lord, feel condemned or uh, any of us feel um, uh, just shamed, Lord. But Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each one of us, Lord, about the hope of being whole. Not just being whole in in outward ways or being whole in, in ways that are easy for us, God, but even in these ways that we would have a wholeness, each of us, God, in our bodies and who we are. And and so show mercy upon us, God. 
And Lord, may we be a church, Lord, that shows mercy upon others as well, Lord. We need you. We love you, Lord. And and God, we answer that question. You are enough. We lay down our rights. We lay down our arguments, Lord, that we might worship you, Lord. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.